Welcome back to the Tip of the Tomorrow Podcast. I'm your host, Brooks Bellman, and we are here to uh, kind of eulogize the NBA season as the Raptors were able to defeat the Warriors 114-110 uh, on Thursday night and capture their first NBA title um, as a franchise, the first um, title in any major sport for a Canadian team since 1993. And uh, yeah, now um, with the draft a, a week away, the season is officially over. Kawhi Leonard won finals MVP as to be expected given his play. He had a, he had a pretty incredible series, uh, 28 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, shot 36% from 3, 91% from the free throw line. Um, just a pretty dominant performance um, from Kawhi throughout the series. He uh, came up big in every, every close moment that the Raptors needed it, getting them a tough bucket, playing good defense, um, kind of a, a little bit of everything. But I think um, it's important to know what went into this uh, Raptors victory was a lot of um, their uh, supporting players kind of bringing it um, and stepping their game up. Kyle Lowry was really good on Thursday night. He came out hot, hit like his first four or five shots. He ended up finishing with 26 points. He kind of paced them throughout game six. Um, Pascal Siakam played really well in game one. He played really well in game six and he played pretty good throughout the middle. He, he got really hot in game six, actually um, shooting incredibly well from three on both both from the corners and above the break where he had been struggling um, earlier. Uh, he'd been struggling throughout the season, and his, his three-point shot is still kind of a work, but he was three for six in game six, finished with 26 points and 10 rebounds himself. Like I mentioned, Kyle Lowry finished with 26 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. Fred Van Fleet, uh, 22 points, and even outscored uh, Steph Curry in game six. He was five for 11 from three, so he kept kept up his hot shooting and just what was a great performance from them. I mean, I want to talk about the Raptors uh, for a while before we kind of talk about the Warriors and where they go, but, you know, this was this is just a pretty good finals run um, when you look at it from the Raptors and think back. I think um, we tendency, uh, have a tendency in the NBA media to when one team wins and the other loses, just only heap massive, massive, massive amounts of praise on the team that won and kind of just, like, uh, claim the other team failed, and I think, you know, um, we, I'm trying, I definitely try to talk about and think about basketball with a little bit more context than that, um, but it's important to recognize how well, how good the Raptors played, how well they brought it, um, you know, their role players stepped up when they had to, uh, they, they have, they were very well schemed, both offensive and, offensively and defensively, they knew what they had to do to get themselves offensive buckets, they knew what they had to do to make it tough on the Warriors, um, specifically, uh, their defense was uh, wholly designed to make things as hard as possible on Steph Curry, and they succeeded in that. Um, and they just had this great run through the playoffs. You know, um, they uh, they lost that first game to the Orlando Magic, and I remember thinking, like, oh, you know, I thought the Raptors had been a good team all season, but because it was the Raptors and they have this history of folding in the playoffs, um, it definitely came to be like, well, is, is, is that still there? Like, are they still unsure of themselves? And they very quickly um, 
showed that that was not the case. They pummeled the Magic, got um, won that series in five, and kind of moved on to the next. And then I think, I think um, there's certainly, I mean, obviously it went the longest amount of games. There's definitely arguments that are going to be made that um, the second round series against the six, Sixers was the hardest series for the Raptors. Um, that was a back and forth game. Uh, Kawhi had to come up huge in game four when they were down two one and looked like Philly was on the cusp of, of making it 3-1 and putting the Raptors in a true hole, but um, Kawhi made some big shots in that one. They even the series. They go on to take it to seven, and then Kawhi gets his four-bouncing four fall away uh, to advance. Um, you know, when you think about the Bucks series, they lose the first two, um, especially, uh, and then they turn around, win four straight. They get incredible performances, not only from Kawhi and uh, what he was doing offensively, but his defense on Giannis, but also Fred Van Fleet. Uh, sh shot 80% from three of those last three games and they, they come into the finals here and you know you play that hard to just get into the finals and have a shot and then you got to take advantage of their year shot and they certainly did you know I don't like the um, the talk in the saying like oh this title has an asterisk on it I think um, saying that kind of opens you up to the to the point where we can we can make all titles about asterisks you know um, you can just start going back and if you're gonna say well if you played someone who wasn't at a hundred percent and that's how you won the title then your title has an asterisk or if something funky happened then your title has an asterisk um, if we start doing that then we're gonna find ourselves going back to every single title in NBA history and just putting asterisks places so that's all that's gonna be done just asterisks everywhere um, there's gonna be very few like non-asterisk titles, and I think that's um, that's an unfair way of thinking about it. Um, one critical part about the NBA and the length of the season and how hard the playoffs are is that, yeah, there's going to be some more of attrition when it comes to uh, players getting injured, teams getting tired, and um, whoever can not you know have as had have the least amount of getting tired or the least amount of attrition is definitely a big deal when it comes to the finals but that doesn't mean it has an asterisk yes um the warriors were without seven steph uh, kevin durant for all but 12 14 minutes of this series um and for those 14 minutes he was on the floor or 12 minutes he was on the floor the warriors were in a pretty dominant position and kind of showing the raptors what they were that that that's perfectly valid to say um clay thompson missed um, a whole game, game three, and then he also missed the last quarter, the last 14 minutes of game six. Um, that could make a difference because it looked like the Warriors were on their way to win game six when he was in it. Yeah, those are certain things. Andre Iguodala was clearly hurt. I mean, Kevon Looney tore, broke his collarbone or had a crack in his collarbone, continued to play. Clearly wasn't 100%. You could tell that um, his hesitancy to go up and dunk it. He did dunk it a couple times, but you could tell he was trying to figure out a way to not have to do that, especially later in games. I mean, uh, DeMarcus Cousins was coming back from a torn hamstring in the finals. You know, Steph Curry was clearly not 100% at times. Um, he tweaked his, I, I saw multiple times he tweaked his ankle or his knee and it, it made him run funny or just not, he just didn't seem as explosive as usual. Yeah, you can go through all this litany of reasons and then just try and act like that takes away from the Raptors, but it doesn't. I mean, because if you start doing that, like I said, you got to go back to, to title after title after title. Uh, you got to go back to 2016 and mention how the Warriors, uh, Steph Curry was clearly not right for that Cavs series, and then they, the Warriors didn't have Draymond for Game 5. you got to go back to 2015 when the Warriors won, and the Cavs didn't have Kevin Love or Kyrie. You, you know, you just have to keep over and over and over going back to other... Um, series and start and then we're going to start just making excuses for everything and that's not the way to do it the raptors should be revered 
and talked about um, as how how good, strong this run was. They were challenged at every single um, uh, round of the playoffs, and they made the adjustments. They they figured it out, and they won these series each and every time. And that's that's extremely commendable. Um, I think. Um, Kawhi and bringing him there and taking the one-year rental, hopefully it makes um, some change in uh, how teams think about you know trading for a guy who might leave. We've now seen uh, two straight one-year rentals work out. Um, Paul George was supposed to be a one-year rental for the Thunder, but he ended up staying because he fell in love with the place and he wants to continue to play with Russell Westbrook. And they haven't won a ton yet, but trading a bunch of assets, but then getting the guy that you traded the assets for to stay is, is a win because then you don't just like lose the trade. And then this Kawhi uh, deal is clearly an extremely um, big victory when it comes to a one-year rental as they, 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 they traded for Kawhi. They actually didn't, they didn't give up a ton of assets, but they still traded for Kawhi and he brought them a title in the first year. And that's, it's a definition of success in the NBA. Everybody wants to win a title. That's why some teams tank. That's why some teams play the free agency. That's why every goal is to win the, win the title. And, um, that's what Kawhi brought. And so, um, what Masai Ujiri did was, I don't, I don't know if I, I agree with it. it was this bold, daring move where he, you know, he, he put everything on the line for this. I mean, I think if you can trade, um, DeMar DeRozan, a couple picks, and Jakob Pertl for Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard. You're going to do that um, every day of the week and, and twice on Sunday, as the expression would go. Um, I mean, yeah, to, to have to, to be like, yeah, this is what we're going to do, is it's, it, it shows a, a level of thinking, a level of decision-making that we don't normally see in the NBA, and that's why it seems to be bold and daring and brash and all this, because most GMs aren't making moves like that, but that doesn't mean it was a exceedingly um, daring move. I think it's just the move that got put in front of him. And, you know, I would hope more GMs would take that move when it's saddled in front of them. But um, as we've seen, uh, the majority probably wouldn't. And I think that that is what sets Ujiri apart um, and what he's trying to do and how he's trying to build his team and why the Raptors were so successful. I mean, they took a risk. I think more the bigger risk probably is just saying... All right, Dwayne Casey, one coach of the year. He's been a solid coach for us. We're just going to move on from him, fire him, and just promote Nick Nurse. Um, Nick Nurse has never been head coach before. He's coached everywhere. Um, he, he led their charge to kind of modernize or change up their offense. And so they gave him the keys, and he made a work. He, he consistently made the right decision for the most part of the finals. He had a couple weird ones with timeouts and stuff in Game 5. But otherwise, um, Nick Nurse was making every decision correctly. He was putting them in their best position to win. Um, he was consistently doing what they needed him to do and him to provide to um, put give them an opportunity. And, and that's what you want from a head coach, and it's just incredible um, for a first-year head coach to be ready, willing, have that poise, make the right calls, um, and it, it, it's huge. Um, I think more talk um, just about the Raptors in general and what this victory does. I think Kawhi Leonard kind of gets put in this elite status. He's the third guy to win Finals MVP on two straight, two different teams. He's got two Finals MVPs, two championships, a couple Defensive uh, Player of the Year awards, and he's kind of reasserted himself after the injury uh, plagued season last year. As you know, he's a top guy in the NBA, and he should be respected as such. I mean, I think. Gaining respect for Kawhi, as I self-admittedly was not sure where he was or how he was going to be after last year. Was he still hurt? Was he healthy? Was he going to be able to get right back to what he was doing previously in 2017? I was unsure of all these things just because I didn't see him on the court for a while. And 
leg injuries are weird, and we've seen guys um, get have their have their careers completely changed based on leg injuries and stuff like that. So I think it was it's not bad to be cautionary, but I probably should have been more open to the fact that he was going to return to his full form, um, and I definitely was was certainly unsure of that, and I think. And that was bad on me, but you know we we get all these fun stories about Kawhi. I was just laughing about a lot of these. The whole board man gets paid thing, you know how he talks on the court. There was like a tweet going around that he like sat at a team dinner and just ate twelve apples out of a bag once, and that's obviously like not true. But like it's such in vain with the rest of the stories that I'm just like I could believe it. Like, um, um, but you know he's a consistent player. He he plays extremely good defense. Um, especially on the ball, off the ball, we saw the Warriors kind of make him work a little bit more and showed a little bit of a chink in his armor. And I think I, I talked about this before the final started. He's a, you know, God tier, super elite all timer on ball defender. And then off ball, he just merely goes to really good. Um, uh, and then offensively, he gets to his spots. He knows what spots he wants to get to. He gets there and makes the shot. Um, consistently, we saw the Warriors do a good job of sending traps at him and being aggressive on pick and roll and then getting the ball out of his hands and they could usually win those possessions um, just because someone else with the ball in their hands was a less good option than Kawhi. Um, but for the most part, he got what he wanted offensively um, consistently throughout the series. Um, for the rest of the Raptors, uh, like I said, huge game for Kyle Lowry in game six. He kind of dispels all this. He's a choker um, type type talk about him which is which is good for him it's it's nice to see um a player overcome that of marcus Gasol gets his first title both Gasol brothers have titles now that's exciting um sergi baka and pascal siakam both from africa getting um titles for themselves they both played well down the stretch and um pascal siakam i mean i think you could argue that he was probably their most consistent player throughout um the f playoffs in general in the finals now if you go into the game by game thing i have um uh you'll see some inconsistencies and in some games where pascal put up good numbers but he was inefficient doing it and he didn't look great making it happen um certainly you know in in the finals he didn't shoot very well from three you know 23 percent for the whole finals but he he made them when he needed to but we're seeing um as a young player what you see out of pascal is pretty encouraging um i think at least uh I i'm definitely one of the, I definitely think he's going to be extremely successful in this league moving forward. He's got a good skill set. He's got good athleticism. I was excited to see him playing well. Um, I, I made a joke um, earlier in the playoffs when he had like a 40-point game that uh, the Toronto, Toronto should sign and trade Kawhi and rebuild a, and build around Siakam going forward. And that's obviously a joke, but um, it was fun to just be funny because he was just playing. He was playing just as well as Kawhi, um, and so it's. Um, I was just. Um, being funny with my uh, friend who's a who's a Toronto Raptors fan about that, and he's specifically a Kawhi fan, so I just kind of getting in his gears. Um, again, I think I don't think enough praise can be heaped on Fred Van Fleet with his play. He wasn't playing great in the beginning of the in the beginning of the playoffs, and he kind of turned it around in the Bucks series. Like I said, last three games in the Bucks series, he shot eighty percent from three. If he shoots. 50%, they lose that series. Um, if he shoots his career average, 37, 38%, they lose that series. So just him him stepping it up. Um, he shot really well again in the finals. He played pretty good defense on Steph Curry. I'll talk about it more in the Warriors. I think we're slightly overrating um, the level of defense he played, and I'll explain why I think that. But he played, he played good defense. Um, he was obviously incredibly key to their... 
um, rotations. He started the second half in just about every finals game over Danny Green, so they'd be right off in the third quarter. The Warriors can't couldn't put a big run on them. And so just all around, great play from the Raptors. I think um, assuming that they bring Kawhi back, they should probably be towards the top of the odds-on favorites for next season, but that all kind of depends on if everybody stays, how people age, um, how that all works out. But all in all, congrats to the Raptors. Congrats, Canada. This was a great season, capped off with a a great postseason run um, that certainly will be remembered for a long time and um, the ability to topple a dynasty in the finals um, is extremely hard, but they made it happen. Moving to the Warrior side of this, you know, I think more than the finals loss, um, what the Warriors are going to remember about the the last 48 or 72 hours of the finals is kind of the devastating effect it's going to have on their future. Um, Kevin Durant played game five, played 12 of the first 14 minutes, and then tried to plant and push off that right leg ruptured his Achilles, had surgery the next day. He'll probably be out the entirety of next season, might play for the playoffs if he's on a playoff team. We don't know where Kevin will play next season. And then coming off of that, um, they still force a game six. They've Game six, game six has been a back-and-forth game the entire time. And then uh, late in the third quarter, we get um, Clay Thompson kind of getting a little bit of a fast break. Goes up for a dunk, um, and Danny Green goes up um, late behind him, tries to block it or get his hand on the ball, you know, just kind of disrupt Clay's shot, but he misses. And instead, what he does is he kind of knocks Clay off balance. Clay lands funky on that knee, on his knee, and uh, goes down hard. Uh, they showed the replay. You can definitely tell the knee, see the knee buckle. Um, and after they showed the replay, I kind of looked at the people I was watching with and said he definitely towards ACL. Um, I've seen that enough, um, enough plays like that firsthand um, for basketball that I can kind of tell. I, I've got a pretty good idea of what's going to happen when your knee kind of collapses the wrong way. Um, I've seen that five or six times um, at least with close views and replays and have just kind of gotten an idea of what you know is going to happen when you see that. There's only one time where I've seen a knee collapse like that where the player didn't have a long-term injury, and that was because our trainer said his um, ligaments were already so loose for whatever reason and so flexible that they were able to deal with the collapsing and not tear completely, um, which I think was just kind of more of a like once-in-a-blue-moon type uh, situation just given the way the guy's knee stability was. But um, I think I thought I could tell that Clay towards ACL and he did and so he will be out probably until next February or March and so these two injuries are completely devastating for the Warriors um also devastating for Clay and Kevin in that their future and how this could affect their free agency however I'm of the mind that both will probably still get the max um I would almost I would certainly max both of them still um I think um if there's one thing we've seen throughout the playoffs and especially with Kevin Durant gone is how valuable clay is. And I'm 100% on clay, the clay bandwagon in the clay Island. I already really liked clay's game, but I think he showed us more and more what makes him special um, in these finals and in this playoff. And I, um, and I think I do think both of them will still get the max, but it's still tough. Missing an entire season is not what you want for it to happen in back-to-back games. 
um, is not what you want. Steve Kerr mentioned that he thinks the wear and tear of the long season and the long playoffs has something to do with it. I tend to agree. Now, there's obviously the old heads and the people who are going to argue, but oh, there's all this load management and stuff that should keep stuff like this from happening. Theoretically, at least that's the idea with all the load management. And you're right. Um, I think the Raptors said that if Kawhi hadn't had his load man hadn't had the load management done in the regular season, he would not have been able to play the entire playoffs, and he probably would have gotten hurt worse. Um, and by the end of the playoffs, he was kind of playing on one leg. But I think. Um, and I, and I, and Bill Simmons gets this you know, gets this well, and he he explains it well. But I think what we're seeing is the NBA game is played harder than it was ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago. Um, everyone's more engaged. You have to be you have to be locked in. You have to play harder. You have to close out harder. You have to play defense harder. You have to run harder in transition. You have to run harder on offense. Everything requires more effort. Requires more energy. The athlete athletes are are for the most part. Now, there are exceptions, but for the most part, seem to be better because of all the training and all that stuff and all the dieting and everyone's bigger, stronger, faster, more agile. And so all of that puts more strain on you. And so when you do that for 82 games for five straight seasons and then going to the finals for five straight seasons, and so you're playing 100-game seasons, um, that extra wear and tear is going to make a difference. And then all it takes, um, especially in Clay's case, is to be knocked off balance on the dunk attempt. Um and to, and 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 to land funky and now you know he's injured i i definitely um i have a i have a little bit of an issue with um danny green going up and challenging that i think um i i mean yes you're in the moment and i understand that but i think he's smart enough to probably be able to read the situation and know he's probably not getting that dunk and then i'm sure he understands the danger of the in-air play um i think that's my thing is that when a player is in air like that um, I know you got to know that any knock or bump while he's in air is probably going to throw off his balance. And if he's not able to grab the rim because of that, he's going to be completely off balance and something bad's going to happen. And that's exactly, that's exactly what occurred. And so I, um, I, I feel like that should probably be a teaching point for young basketball players and NBA players is that, you know, in that scenario, you got to be careful. I, you know, giving up a basket is never okay. And contesting is good, but, um, we just need to be smart about giving out hard fouls or just fouls in general, um, even if they're soft and light on those situations, because I think that's one of the more situ dangerous situations in the game. Um, but despite uh, the injuries to Katie and the injuries to Clay, uh, the Warriors fought the entire series. I mean, by the end of it, they were, had so few bodies and they were just kind of throwing out lineups that you're like, how can Steve Kerr play this lineup? But at the same time, you're also like, well, look at the bodies he has. And some of that is self-inflicted. You know, when you double down on, on and getting uh, Kevin Durant and committing to four stars, your bench is going to suffer. And we, we saw that this season. You know, they had Andre Iguodala contributing. Uh, Kevon Looney contributed pretty well. Um, and then from there, it was kind of up and down what you were getting. You know, DeMarcus Cousins was up and down. Sean Livingston is older. You can definitely tell... Um, he doesn't have what he once had. Um, Quinn Cook uh, sometimes brought in hit shots. Other nights couldn't hit open shots and struggled um, defensively consistently. Alfonso McKinney is young and kind of figuring it out, but same situation where he brought energy and had some good moments, but then he also had some tough defensive moments. He couldn't hit shots when you needed him. Um, the Warriors also, I thought, carried way too many centers on their roster. You know, you have DeMarcus Cousins, you have Andrew Bogut, you have Kevon Looney, you have um, 
Damian Jones, you have all these, all these, you know, Jordan Bell, you have all these centers, and some of them just proved to be unplayable. And I think, I think that came back to hurt them. Their depth made them play their guys longer minutes, probably um, led to the, some of the injuries in some ways. You could definitely tell how exhausted Steph was by the end of it. Um, and then they just didn't have extra guys to come off the bench and hit shots when they needed them. And that's, you know, that's tough to deal with. And definitely something I'm, I'm sure they're going to go back and rethink. Um, as expected, uh, Steph missed a shot at the end of game six that would have, uh, won them the game. Um, he didn't, he didn't play bad, but he didn't play particularly great in game six. You know, we only scored 21 points, um, six of 17 from the field and three of 11 from three, but that's kind of inaccurate because three of those missed shots were end of quarter, uh, 70 footers. So he was really more like six of 14 from the field and three of eight from three, which three of eight from three is not terrible. You know, he, um, he did, Steph played pretty well throughout the series. He scored 30 points per game. Um, he shot, uh, just about 35% from three. He shot just under 50% from two, shot 95% from the free throw line, averaged six assists and five rebounds per game. Um, obviously everyone likes to say this and also joke about it, but his gravity is significant. It got guys open buckets often. Um, but you could definitely tell with the way the defense was being played by the Raptors, it was making it harder on him. And and that's a good that's one a good scheming thing, but I also think there's a little bit of a of a situation there at play in that, you know, a couple guys wrote articles about how the Raptors were scheming. Kevin O'Connor was one of them and mentioned how the Raptors had schemed to, you know, hit, pull, push, punch, almost and he used these words, um, these were your words he used, but treat stuff like a boxer and that they just wanted to rough him up. Um, hit him with body shots and make it tougher on him. And while that's a good defensive tactic, um, I am 100% a fan of physicality. I think at a point that turns into just constantly fouling a guy, and when you're constantly being fouled, the game's going to be harder. You're going to get more tired. You're going to miss more shots. Um, and that that's going to have some negative effects, but it's not necessarily because you're playing elite-level defense. It's because the other team is fouling you constantly and you're not getting rewarded for that and that makes things difficult and I think Steph deals with this uniquely uh, among superstars because of his size and because the, of the outside effect that has on him and yeah his size is going to make him dominating games like LeBron would extremely difficult but that doesn't take away um, from how amazing it is it actually makes his numbers for me look better and you know you can say that's making excuses that's that's whatever um, people are going to say, oh, everyone makes excuses for Steph, where they wanted to destroy LeBron. No one made as many excuses for him when he struggled. And yeah, that's that's a whole media thing, I think, um, and something that I personally don't subscribe to. I think, could Steph have had a better series? Probably. Could he? Were there shots that he missed that I thought probably he could have made? Sure. Um, because he was consistently creating open shots. And that's why I'm saying Fred Van Fleet played good defense, but let's not say he's some kind of incredible defender the Raptors had a great scheme for Steph but that doesn't but Steph was still consistently getting open shots for himself and open shots for his teammates um and and that's at the end of the day what you want whether they went in or not um is tough and um three-point shooting variance is is the true the one true god um in that you know Steph was consistently getting open threes and just they just weren't going down for him whether it's because he was tired or he just didn't get the release off the way he wanted to but I, I think a man, I think I like to judge offense more of the the creating the good shots for the people you want taking those shots, um, and then focusing on that and kind of moving forward. Um, and I think the Warriors consistently created open shots, 
And sometimes they just got turned down um, because guys were unconfident shooting the ball, and I think that had a severe negative effect. Um, talk, to talk a little bit more about Clay as kind of we close out here, um, I have I had all the respect for, for Clay coming into this series, but the way Clay scores and can attack and can defend, um, I just love his game a ton. Um, I, I think he'll probably be back on the Warriors, but there's a variety of other teams that like should be should be calling Clay as soon as possible um, on June 30th and being like, look, we know you're probably going back to the Warriors, but it's on the you want to come play for, I mean guys teams like the Sixers the Bucks basically any contender should be like let's let's take a look like sure he's going to be out till March but you you tell me you don't want that guy in the playoffs I mean this is I mean he tore his ACL walked back hit the hit the free throws got pulled out and told Steve Kerr give me 2 minutes and I'm good on a torn ACL now in that moment he didn't know it was torn yeah he probably had a ton of adrenaline pumping through his system yeah so he didn't feel the pain as much but still just just the the, the toughness to be like, I'm, I'm good, I can make it happen. And you know what? He would have gone out there and he probably would not have been able to cut or do anything laterally, but you know he would have given it a try. And who am I? I probably, I, he probably would have made at least one three um, if he's back out there. Um, and I think just that incredible, just like force of will and just toughness and just, I'm going to, you know, I, my team is winning. Um, I need to help my team win um, is incredible and something that anyone should want on their team. I think the Warriors as a whole, what they go from here, I expect them 100% to bring back Clay. If KD comes back as a question, um, obviously KD raises their ceiling, but he's going to be out for an entire season. And if you have both KD and Clay eating up a ton of cap on your roster and both out for the season, it's going to make the season extremely tough on Steph and Draymond and whatever bench they can fit around them. And so I almost would think that KD not returning might just be better for them in that you keep Clay on the roster and he's out, but you use that money that you would have spent on KD to get a couple more bench guys that c- c- can contribute throughout the season and um, leave you with a deeper bench come playoff time, and that might be more helpful. But, you know, um, all dynasties have to come to an end. All dynasties are usually felled by, you know, um, egos, money, or injuries. Um, the Warriors got felled by injuries, um, but for, for it to happen the way it did, in such quick succession and such dramatic and, and terrifying and, and horrible injuries um, is certainly a way we haven't seen yet. And I, I don't think this is the end of the Warriors competing. Um, and honestly, if I find a way to compete and get back to the finals next season, I, I wouldn't be surprised, but I definitely think, um, you know, three titles in five years is, is pretty dang impressive. Um, the way they did it was pretty innovative in the beginning um and i I'm, i sure enjoy watching them play um a lot of their sets are really fun um and i hope they keep playing that way even if it's just Stephen draymond for the majority of next season but um they just they just they got they didn't have enough uh this time and that's not um something to be mad about or whatever it's just sometimes you get beat and they got beat and it was a heroic effort by the raptors to do it so i thought this was a pretty good finals i enjoyed all six games um, I just didn't enjoy the start times. I'm on the East Coast, and the 9 p.m. start times be killing me sometimes. Um, but it was a great finals. It's going to transition to what's going to be, um, at the very least, an extremely hectic offseason, starting with the draft next week. Um, free agency is going to be good. We've already got the Anthony Davis trade talks heating up. Kyrie is... Uh, the Kyrie situation in Boston is getting weird. Um, 
it's going to be exciting, as always, the NBA. Um, they don't leave you for long. Um, we have the draft next week. We have free agency the week after that. Then they have summer league. But also, basketball isn't gone. The WNBA is, has games, and they are extremely fun to watch. And if you are having some basketball withdrawals waiting for summer league, um, I would say turn on the WNBA. The league, league pass for the WNBA is like $17, and it's worth every single penny. It's incredible. It's great basketball. Um, so that'll be this episode. Uh, I wanted to get a finals recap episode in. I've been extremely busy of late and haven't been able to do as many pods as I wanted as I wanted to kind of review the finals and, uh, more often, um, get pods out there talking about single games or maybe two games at a time. And it just, um, I recently, um, got hired as an assistant basketball coach for high school. And so just haven't had the time to make that happen. But, Um, the pot is still going to keep going as consistently as I can make it happen. I have a huge, um, mock draft pod scheduled that we're going to record, uh, tomorrow, Sunday night, and hopefully get out either Sunday night or Monday to listen to in preparation for the NBA draft. We'll probably be covering the draft live, uh, kind of depends. Um, but either way, uh, thanks for listening, rate, uh, review, subscribe, share with your friends, and I will talk to you guys in a couple days with the mock draft. Woo!